0: Bye. I can't believe how quiet these kids are as they leave. It's the anointing. I hear you. Matthew chapter 5. Little, I'm a little loud, Gary. A little loud. I've been accused of other things. little loud's good. Probably the some of the better of things that you've been accused to be. Matthew chapter 5, we're in the Sermon on the Mount here. We're preaching our way through. Jesus just spoke about the law and the, the fact that the law isn't going anywhere and has a, an enduring nature to it. He shifts gears here a little bit. We're going to be talking about some topics that govern our our relationships, our civil relationships, relationships with one another. And uh, they're powerful topics here and they're relevant to us. Um, Some of this uh, may be a little jarring to you. And you say, well, why would that happen? Because Jesus was speaking in parables to the multitudes here and a lot of what he said had a shock value to it. He wasn't doing that just to gain notoriety. He was shocking them to shake them up so they could change the condition of their hearts. So I'm going to ask the Lord to bless the Word, and then I'm going to read Matthew 5, 21 through 26. We're only going to cover two verses this morning. We'll do this section in two parts to do it justice. Father, this morning we thank you, Lord, for the Word. We thank you this morning that you love us and that you are here to speak to us, Lord God. So Holy Spirit, open up the Word to us. Father, I pray that each of us would have ears to hear your truth and that we would dismiss and discard our own preconceptions and allow our hearts and our minds to be formed by the word of God alone. Holy Spirit, do that work in us. Don't let any of us leave here the way we came, but change us, not by religion, not by the message of a man, but change us by the power of your word. We ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Amen. Matthew 5, verse 21 through 26. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Let's just stop there. We're only going to cover two verses of that. We're going to cover 21 and 22 for this week because there's so much in here. But Jesus had just made his transition from speaking about the law. Now he's dealing with civility and morality in our relationships on a societal level here. Understand that the Ten Commandments, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're spiritual or not, the Ten Commandments govern our society. And people would like to toss them out and throw them away, but which ones do you want to get rid of? Do you want to throw murder out the window? Do you want to throw adultery out the window? Would you like to have your spouse sleeping around? Would you like to be lied to, stolen from? Which one do you want to throw out? The truth is, none of us want any of them thrown out because they're God's word and they govern civil discourse and they are good for society at every level. So he's speaking about the law and and he's shifting gears here and then he gets into a topic that is powerful for us. Now, in verses 17 through 20 when he covered the law, the one thing I want you to take away from that, the Ten Commandments are not going anywhere. The law covenant is still in place. Why? Because it governs man's interaction with God. To the sinner, the law gives them the knowledge of sin. And we have an inner conscience. We have an inner witness. But the, the law shows us that when we break these commandments that we're sinners. To the believer, it shows us how much we need God. Because even though we're in Christ and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we still sin. Some of us are trying to look so holy this morning. Maybe you sin. We all sin. We're all sinners. And so the law convicts us of sin. Even though we're under grace, it reminds us of how much we need His amazing grace. Oh, without him we can do nothing, but through him all things are possible. So the law governs our interaction with man. It's not going anywhere. We are moving from, as Jesus is speaking to these people, he hasn't died yet. He hasn't hung on the cross yet. He hasn't risen from the grave yet. So they are still under the law covenant, but they are moving into a grace covenant, and there is a shift taking place here, and he's preaching accordingly. In verse 21, he starts off by saying, You have heard that... The ancients were told, so he starts off with, you have heard, and I want to I zero in on that. Jesus starts from a place of understanding, from common understanding. When we share biblical truth, we should start from a place of common understanding. What was the common understanding? You have heard what? That murder is wrong. I mean, this is something that whether you're a devout Christian in a lifelong relationship with God, or you're a total heathen and you've never heard one truth from God's word, you know by your conscience that God put in the heart of every man that murdering someone is wrong. When he says you have heard, what he's basically saying is here, we all know the sixth commandment. We all know that murder is wrong in God's eyes. Look what it says here. You have heard what? From the ancients. Who, who's he talking about? People over fifty? I just got a letter in the mail from AARP. I hate that letter. My wife was like, we'll get discounts. Just, just take it. I'm like Here's my old man card, fifteen percent off the hotel. They put Ben Gay and Depends in the room, it's over. But he said the ancients. What's he talking about? He's talking about this is a long-standing thing. This is written in the hearts of men. You all know this. You know the commandment. He's talking to predominantly Jews there, and they all know about the commandment of God that murder is wrong. It's been a long-standing thing since the ancients of time, and we've all known it. But because of the inner witness, all of us have that even if we don't know the command, we don't know the sixth commandment, we don't abide by the law, we know in our hearts that murdering someone is wrong. Now, men have always known that murder is wrong, yet from the time of Cain and Abel, men have been murdering one another. And it is such a sad state of affairs to see that, you know, in all our intellectualism and in all our progress technologically, that societally we haven't become any less violent or murderous than ever before. Still in the hearts of men, there is murder. And still people murder one another. Now it's real quiet this morning, which you got to understand, I like. Because it shows that the Holy Spirit is really getting our attention. And he wants to get our attention because he has something to say to us. And it's it's really, you know, these things that Jesus shares here with the crowd, I I wish we had audio from the Sermon on the Mountain, because the things he says here, I guarantee you could have heard a pin drop. And he's saying here, you are moving from a law covenant to a grace covenant. You need a new way of thinking. You've heard all this before. You know the sixth commandment. You know murder is wrong. Yet men still murder one another. You know, people will say things like, thou shall not kill. And really, kill is not the right translation of the commandment. The word is not kill. It's murder. There is a huge difference between killing and murder. And let me just create the biblical foundation here this morning. Killing is different than murder. You say, how so? Well, I'm going to illustrate that to you. Killing is the taking of a life. It is not automatically sin in the eyes of God. Now it's quiet. So this is the part where I get to identify all the hippie, snowflake, tree-hugging, patchouli-oil-wearing thou shalt not kill. That's not right. Thou shalt not murder. Killing is the taking of a life. It's not automatically wrong in God's sight. An Allied soldier in World War II who fought against Hitler's Nazis did not murder Nazis. The killing in a just war. Now that's a fine line right there, a just war. We could spend a lot of time talking about that because not every time people decide to fight, it's just in God's sight. But let me tell you, the allied soldier who who kills a Nazi did not murder a Nazi in God's sight. David, who killed Philistines by the sword, did not murder Philistines in God's sight. Yet he killed one innocent man, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And God said, you're a bloody man. Thousands of Philistines killed. One murder. You're a bloody man. Wow. There's a difference between killing and murder. So... The person who defends his family against a home invasion, an armed intruder, and kills a person in the commission of a crime, did not commit murder. The man in Texas who stood up in a Texas church and defended a congregation against evil. Uh, Come on, you guys, pay attention to the news. You see what's going on out there? They're coming into churches to murder people, there's things going on. This is so relevant to our society right now as we live in a state that has pushed back the laws and made it easier for criminals to commit all kinds of crimes and then to get out with no bail. Come on, church. And what is this about? We're going to talk about this this morning. What a coincidence that we land here when all this is touching off. Wow. So... The person who defends his family, defends his children, defends his life, does not commit murder. The Texas man who stood up and defended that congregation did not murder a gunman. Get it right, people. Our society is so twisted. We stand up for evil, and we say, oh, don't, you know, and then we, we stand against righteousness. Despite what so many confused people in our generation think, if you go out after church and have a steak or a burger, you did not murder a cow. Chick-fil-A is not committing genocide against chickens. Come on. You don't murder an animal. Why? God said they will be food for you. God, the creator, defines what creation is. Listen, if you don't want to eat meat, don't eat meat. But don't create your own morality that supersedes the morality of God. To where people will say, well, you know, we're not going to do that. Hey, if you don't want to eat it, don't eat it. Be weak and anemic. I don't know what to tell you. But have a balanced diet great but as we create this morality that's higher than god well we are going to worship at the creation instead of the creator and see where that gets you so not all killing is wrong and not all killing is murder now what is murder murder is the shedding of innocent blood say innocent blood murdering is the shedding of innocent blood and it is always 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 wrong it's never right it's never justifiable. Why? Because if you shed innocent blood, it's murder, and it's a sin in the eyes of God. When Cain killed Abel in a jealous rage, that was murder. Why did he kill Abel? Because he he was jealous of him. Abel did the right thing, and God accepted his offering, and Cain was angry, and so angry in his heart that he had murder in his heart, and he acted out on it and killed his brother. It was the shedding of innocent blood. It's murder, and it's always wrong. The thief who kills another person to take their property, that's murder, and it's always wrong. I grew up in the 80s. Pastor Mike and I were talking in first service, you know, while I was preaching, we were talking, and they were killing people for their sneakers. I remember this when, I don't know if it was Jordan's or the Adidas's or what it was, but when sneakers got big, man, we used to just wear any kind of bobos from, you know, Grand (laughs) Union, you know, right? You know, Go to AMP, get the AMP grippers, three pairs for a dollar. Then all of a sudden, man, you had to have sneakers. People were killing each other for sneakers. That's murder. That's always wrong in the sight of God stealing someone's property, taking a life to take their goods, wrong. A person that's killed for their skin color or their ethnicity or their religion, that's murder. And it's always wrong. If you look there again, we're talking about our state repealing laws. And now you've got attacks happening on Jewish people in the city that they're being beat and attacked. A rabbi was knifed in his own home. And he's in the hospital. You say, what's this all about? Pushing back the barriers of civil society and allowing criminals to have reign so that there's actually, when you kill someone for their religion, or their skin color, or their ethnicity, a Jew just because they're a Jew, a Christian just because they're a Christian, that's murder. When you kill a baby in the sanctity of its mother's womb for convenience and call it a life choice or birth control, it's none of those things. It's murder every single time. There is a big difference between killing and murder. And the commandment of God says, thou shalt not murder. We are never justified to shed innocent blood. Now in the Old Testament legal system and in our modern legal system, you literally had to murder someone or attempt to murder them or conspire to murder them to be charged with murder. You can't be charged with murder because you you thought it in your head. You can't be charged with murder, you know, because, you know, you thought it in your heart. Yet. But in the Old Testament, as in our legal system, you actually had to do it to be convicted of it. You actually had to do it to be guilty of it. Now, people aren't held liable for what they think or what they feel. Now, this is good news for married people. Come on, smile in church. Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham was asked, did you ever, in all the years being married to Billy Graham, ever consider divorcing him once? She snapped back, divorce? Never. Murder? couple times. <laughs> <laughs> Murder is something that you know, you, you might get dark thoughts. You might look at, you know, your children every once in a while. You might drive in traffic and see someone who just shouldn't have a driver's license. And you might contemplate some things. Come on, you're too serious out there. You might contemplate something. Some things might go through your head. You can try and look holy, but you're not fooling me or the Holy Ghost. You see, we're not held responsible for a thought or something that passes through our heart. Now, let me just say something about that. If you dwell on a thought, if you allow it to take root in your heart, if you think about it over and over again, you might wind up doing it. Be careful what you meditate on. Be careful what you allow to grip your mind and your heart. But for a rogue thought, no, we're not held responsible for that. You actually had to do the deed to be, you know, accused and and to be guilty of that crime. Yet Jesus is changing the the, the escape here. He's upping the level somehow. People aren't liable in Old Testament because it's a legalistic system, you know. But why is it in our system now Jesus is changing things? And I'll tell you why. Because the biblical mandate is that... Now we are moving from legalism to grace. And there's a different set of rules for those of us who are under grace. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Verse 21 continues to flesh out the point here. You've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. That's the shedding of innocent blood. Don't give me this kill stuff when I have my chicken sandwich. Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Did you hear that? Say, libel. So the legal system, the court system, that's ordained by God. Civil government it was ordained by God. Doesn't mean they're always right. Doesn't mean we always have to obey them without question. Means if they hold up God's law, it's God's design. We should. We should follow the just laws of men. The biblical mandate says that man's legal system is to enforce appropriate consequences for murder. It says, whosoever commits murder shall be liable to the courts. God expects just governments. Now, when a government is just, it follows God's law. When a government is unjust, it does its own thing. Very different response that a Christian should have to both of those things. God expects just governments to carry out justice on his behalf when dealing with murderers to keep civil order and to restrain evil. Understand this. This is what the Bible teaches from the beginning to the end, that man has a responsibility to keep civil order. Why? Because God designed society to function in such a way that his commandments would be honored. Amen. And he expects just governments to have appropriate punishments for those who murder. Look what Genesis 9, 6 says. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for for in the image of God he made him. So he's saying, look, if you got people killing people down there, you need to have appropriate consequences. You say, Pastor Rick, are, are you for the death penalty? It doesn't matter if I'm for or against it. If God says that sometimes it's appropriate, we have to honor God's word. And God's word and I'm going to give you New Testament here in just a minute for those of you who want to throw the Old Testament away, but sometimes it's appropriate for the state to inflict capital punishment. Now let me just say this: not every time it's appropriate, we also have to leave room for grace. You say why? Because if we approach it with a legalistic standard and we don't approach every case individually, we would have had to execute Moses, who murdered an Egyptian, and David, who murdered Uriah Bathsheba's wife. Hello. Come on, church. Do you see there's a balance in these things? But we can't dismiss what God's word says. Look what Romans 13, 3 through 4 says. For the rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior. So when there's a just government that's upholding the commandments of God, the rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword in vain. For it is a minister of God and an avenger who brings wrath on those who practice evil. That's New Testament. It's really clear. We break the law. We sin. We lie, cheat, steal, kill, murder, rape. We are going to be held accountable by the courts. And we're going to be held accountable by God and those of us who don't like, see, we live in a culture and society that no one does anything wrong, no one's accountable, and how dare you hold anyone accountable when God's Word says that if we don't hold people accountable for evil practices, we will not have a civil society, and we will not uphold God's mandate. Do you realize, if you've ever lived in a place that was lawless, Maybe you've been to some countries. Maybe you've been on the mission field where you had to pay bribes. And We were in Guatemala for seven years, and it was lovely country, beautiful people, but the legal system there is not like ours. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's absolutely 100% true. You can murder somebody if you have the bribe money to pay when the police get there. This is dead true. You could, there is people, they kill their wife, they had to pay a $5,000 bribe. to You could kill your wife for five grand. Now, some people are thinking about moving. Don't do it. Is that justice? Is that restraining evil? Is that upholding the commandments of God? No. That's why when we see there's corruption like this in places, the, the blessing of God is not in those places. Poverty follows and all kinds of, all kinds of judgment follow. So we have to uphold the law and God's law, and we have to restrain evil to keep a civil society. And the, the world drops the ball on these things, and how relevant it is in our own state, where we're, we're, we're giving more rights to the criminals than to the public right now. And if you're paying attention to what's going on, you need to be praying for New York State, because lives are at risk right now. They're playing social experiments with politics, and people's lives are at stake. And if you don't know what's going on, shame on you. And if you don't care, shame on you. When it's your family member that's dead on a slab, and you didn't care enough to care, it's too late. Wake up, church. It's a dark world, and we're supposed to be the light. Jesus said there needs to be civil order, so we restrain evil. Now, Jesus shifts away from all of that. It's man's responsibility. He needs to uphold it. Murder is wrong. You all know that. Now he raises the spiritual bar on it. If it wasn't hard enough, in the Old Testament, you know, all you had to do is not do it, and you were fine. Now Jesus, in verse 22, look how he raises the bar. But I say to you, say, uh (laughs) uh-oh. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, now most translations say without a cause, so it's unjustified anger. It's like Cain and Abel. Why was, Abel uh, why was Cain mad at Abel? No justifiable reason. He didn't do anything wrong. He did the right thing, and his brother was jealous, and that jealous rage produced murder. So it says, you know, but I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother without a just cause shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Wow. Uh, you, know, you know all those people were like, man, we just wanted to hear some good preaching and maybe get some lunch. Because <laughs> we heard, you know, he multiplies fish and loaves and we like a free meal. But this is heavy. And, and, and there again, you could probably hear a pin drop at this point. Because Jesus just got... Real tough with them, and he ups the bar. Now it's not only do you you, you you might not do the act, but if you if you are you know having it in your heart, if you if you have it in your mind, if you're thinking about it, if you if you think it's a great idea, there's a spiritual judgment that's attached today. But I say to you that everyone, this is what Jesus says to us. Why is he doing this? Because they're shifting from a law covenant into a grace covenant. We can't be under grace and be legal at the same time. We can't say, well, I want grace for me every time I cross the line, but anytime you step on my toes, I want God's judgment on you. Uh, I, if I mess up, I want everyone to be kind and gracious and forgiving, but everyone else should go to, to jail and, and get the death penalty. Do you know people like that? <laughs> it's human nature, isn't it? But whether it's human nature or not, God is not pleased with it in his children because we've been given Grace. So Jesus ups the bar here. And boy, he really, he really changes things for us. We, we who live under the grace covenant cannot be legalistic anymore. How unjust would it be for us to have a double standard? Yet in verse 22, he makes the case here that we may not be guilty of actually murdering someone in a legal sense, but we could very well be guilty of having it in our hearts. And God looks at the heart. Now, now, now is where it gets real. Well, I never did this and I never did that. And we're going to cover some topics here. You know, we're going to cover this murder thing and then adultery and some of these other things. And I, I'm going to tell you, you know, it, it might get uncomfortable at moments. But these are the words of Jesus to us. And what he's trying to get us to do is to look at our hearts. Not to legalistically say, well, I followed the rules. Yeah, but what's in your heart? And that's how he raises the bar today. Now, I would venture to say as I'm looking around the the congregation here today that no one probably here has murdered someone this week. There again, maybe. Most of us have never crossed that line. But that doesn't mean that we could not have some form of it in our heart that God wants us to take a look at. I wanna give you three three, three ways to murder someone. You can murder someone three ways according to this text. Number one, you can murder someone with pride. It says what? He's angry with his brother without a cause. What does that mean? You're mad at him, why? not because he did anything wrong, but because his actions showed how you were wrong and your pride was inflamed and now you want to take your anger out on him instead of repenting and getting right with God. Come on, this is Cain and Abel. Uh, Abel did the right thing and and Cain was mad at him. (laughs) You say, well, that's me, I'm Abel, I'm always Abel. What Jesus is saying, sometimes we're Cain and we need to take a look at our hearts. Everybody else did the right thing. Maybe you're looking at somebody, and there's so much of this fomented in our society. The the political landscape is divide people. Divide them over, the rich and the poor and the black and the white and the Christian and the Jew. And and just bring division, because in division, they can control us. In division, they they can get us to, to fight each other instead of having them work on our behalf. So we have a culture of division in our society. And you might look at this and go, you know, so, so what's this all about? Murder with pride here. It's unjustified anger when people are trying to stir up anger and that pride. And then we want to scapegoat. It's, it's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. It's society's fault. It's capitalism's fault. It's my mother's fault. She didn't hug me enough. It's my father's fault. He didn't, he didn't give me, you know, and we blame everything on everybody. Yet no one's responsible. Yet I can guarantee you this. Each one of us will stand before God and give account for ourselves. And we won't be able to blame it on anyone. We'll give account for ourselves. So you can murder someone with pride, with unjustified anger. And you look at them and you, you mistreat them and persecute them because you can. Uh, you scapegoat them and you blame your faults and flaws and failures on them. We see this all the time. You know, someone who's disciplined and they, they work hard and they go to school and they work a job and they study and, and they, they don't do the things that destroy their potential. They don't uh, have sex out of marriage and they don't make babies that they have to pay for for the rest of life and they, they they don't use drugs and all of a sudden they're successful and they start a business and they make money and then people go hey how dare you you didn't build that that's not yours spread the wealth around and they're jealous and they're hateful and they look at them and despise them in their heart they hate them and murder them rich against poor Jesus says you can have murder in your heart by murdering someone with pride. How is their pride there? I should have that. Why do they have that? I, I'm, I should have it. It's mine. Give it to me. Share it with me. Covetousness. These are all the things that, you know, th- this is relevant stuff to us in our culture. And I see how everybody gets quite uncomfortable. That just encourages me like a shark that smells blood in the water. <laughs> because we need to get these twisted, twisted thoughts out of our head and get more biblically correct and politically correct because the church is so weak right now. and so divided. We send our kids to school and they fill their heads full of mush and they tell them everything in here is a fairy tale and they come out little heathens and we only paid a quarter of a million dollars for it. And then they waste the productive years of their lives of living a lie till they figure out, oh, God was right. Mom and dad were right. Pastor Rick were right. right. Huh. Oh, I could go on for hours. Amen. But you can murder someone with your pride you feel superior to another, you feel entitled to what they have, you judge them, you persecute them, and you see this all the time, people who are scapegoated. Hitler did it in Nazi Germany with the Jews. He made every problem in Germany was the Jews' fault, and he scapegoated them, and he broke them down mentally, physically, spiritually, and eventually murdered six million of them in concentration camps. Do you see the way this murder in the heart leads to the act? And you can murder someone with your pride. Number two, you can murder someone with your words. Oh, Pastor Rick, I never pulled the trigger. I never hurt anyone. I never stopped a beating heart. But yet your words have crushed people and stunted their spiritual growth and maybe left them emotionally devastated. Sticks and stones will break your bones. You heard it before, right? Now, listen to me. We get to a place in our spiritual maturity where our skin gets thick enough that people can't say things that make us fall apart. You know, and we should get to that place that, oh, someone said, you know, they came to me after church and said I was a horrible pastor. I should quit. (laughs) Stand online. Right? Right? You get to this place where you're, you're, you're emotionally strong enough. You know who you are. But listen, there are some people who could speak to us that their words can really hurt us. Usually it's the ones closest to us. Look who betrayed Jesus. It was Judas. He was close to him. Wow. And so words are powerful. Words can be life-giving or words can be destructive. Words can kill or they can build up. They can crush a person's heart and soul. They can snuff out a person's potential if those words are allowed to have their impact. Have you ever seen people that through a withering barrage of negative words, they break another person down? Maybe some of you have dealt with people like that in your life. You can still hear their words echo in your soul. You're this, you're that, you'll never be, you never will. Wow. You can murder someone with your words. Let me just say a few things about a parent's words before we move on. A parent's words will either have a profound or devastating effect upon their child's soul. They will affect everything that that child does in life, those words will have an impact on. Proverbs 18.21. I don't usually read from the Amplified Bible, but this, I love the way they rendered it. They say, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it and indulge in it will eat its fruit and bear the consequences of their words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue." So when you speak over your children what you say to them. Now listen to me. I'm not for this, you know, we need to be so soft and you never can say anything hard and there's no tough love. And it always has to be let's have a little time out. Sometimes you need a lights out. But, you know, I, I, I'm saying, all of us who grew up with discipline and getting spanked and being punished, like we turned out all right. Spare the rod and spoil the child don't beat the child to death but don't spare the rod hello there's balance but cps will come invite him in for coffee the way we speak to our children will become their inner voice do you hear what i just said the way we speak to our children will become their inner monologue And this is a double-edged sword. If they're always right and they're never wrong and they're always in the driver's seat, you're wrecking that child. But if your words are true and just and firm and there's a balance of discipline and love, you're saving that child. But realize, as an adult, you can still hear... (laughs) I can hear them because they're in the front row, but you you can still hear your parents' words. You can still hear, you know, what what mom said, what dad said, it guides us. So be careful what you say to your children. You know, words like, when you hear parents say, you're an idiot, or you never make the right choices, or you always disappoint me. Wow. Those words are destructive. Now, I'm not saying that some, there's been times when I was growing up, look, every time I got in trouble, got punished, got a beating, I deserved it, and they didn't catch me for half of it, so God (laughs) bless them, but... (laughs) But understand we need to be very careful of the things we say over our children. And when our words are wrong, we should apologize. But when they're not wrong and it's tough and they don't want to hear it, we should just let it sit. Because we can't soften up everything in this participation trophy generation where everybody's right all the time. We're we're destroying our generation here. We're going to have to pass the baton to them soon so that they can run the church, the kingdom of God and the earth. there's a scary thought. So you can murder someone with pride. You can murder them with your words, and you can murder them with your judgment. Look what it says here. Who's angry with his brother without cause, who says, you good for nothing, or you fool. Now, it might sound benign to call someone a fool, but what's behind this statement here is basically, it's the total dressing down and dismissing of a person in every way, categorically, that they're worthless. We might, you know, if you hanging out with your friends or your brothers or whoever, and, and you call each other a fool, like, you fool, what are you doing? I mean, Mr. T, I pity the fool, you know. He's not going to hell for saying that or for wearing jewelry. But that word fool, there's some implications there that when you pronounce that judgment on someone, you're basically saying, you know, the sum total of who they are is worthless. And it's that judgment that murders a person. Those who mock and slander others in the public square with their toxic tongues, who make all kinds of accusations about other people, who cause others in the public square to question that person's intellect. Yeah, that, that person's a fool. They, they don't know anything. You now everybody takes a look at them. Yeah, maybe they are. In the public square, when you you cast a judgment upon someone and, and you cast a judgment on their integrity or their worth, and that toxic judgmentalism just dresses them down to the point where you destroy them in the eyes of others. You can murder people with your judgment. You can murder people with your words. You can murder people with your pride. You may never pull the trigger. You may never stop a beating heart. But God says, look at your own heart, because you're going to be accountable to me someday. That's what this is all about. Jesus wants us to look in. And this is why we talk about the law not passing away, because it's the conviction that comes when Jesus shows us something in our heart that needs to be tweaked, where we need to repent about how we judge others, or about how we speak to others, or how we think we're better than others. <laughs> Now, I know this doesn't fill seats, but it's the word of God. And we got to hear it. Now, there's a pattern of judgment here that Jesus talks about. He said, you'll be brought before the court. And then he says, okay, you, you'll be brought before the Supreme Court. And then you'll be, you, you'll be guilty. You'll be sent to the fiery hell. You might say, well, where did he get this from here? You know, it was... Uh, what's the pattern here? The Jews had a three-tiered pattern of capital punishment uh, in their justice system. If you were guilty of a capital crime, you could be brought before the court in, in the Jewish realm, and they could actually behead you for certain things that you did. If you read Leviticus, if you read the Old Testament law, it was pretty strict. Thank God for grace. But the court had the right to punish you and to behead you. Now, he says you, would, you could also go before the Supreme Court. What was that? That was a higher court than the regular Jewish court. That was the Sanhedrin. They were the leaders of leaders. The Sanhedrin could pass judgment on you, and they could have you stoned to death. And we saw that in the New Testament with the martyrs in the early church, with Stephen. Who was that? That was Paul. He was part of the ruling governor. He was part of the Sanhedrin. They came out to have him stoned to death. Now, there was even a worse punishment in Israel. For those who had committed the most heinous of crimes, you could actually be burned. Do you remember Achan? He stole from the camp uh, of the Philistines. He brought the the treasure or whatever into the camp of Israel, and God judged Israel, and thousands died in battle. And when they found out Achan had done that, what did they do? They took Achan and his whole family and everything they owned, and they stoned him and burned him in a heap. Wow. I always remember Achan because, man, he had to be Achan after that. But there was a three-tiered system of judgment there, and Jesus is mirroring this for them, so they get the cultural implications here. Court, Supreme Court, fiery hell. Not, you know, not to say that there's not an implication there that if you don't change your heart, you could wind up in hell for having murder in your heart. So the challenge is this. We can't hide behind the legalistic eye for an eye anymore because we're under grace. Grace. We have to be willing to extend grace. Yes, there are some times where we have to make hard decisions and do hard things, but we should always leave room for the grace of God. We can't expect grace for ourselves and judgment for everyone else. The hypocrisy of that is stunning to God. And so he asks us, what Jesus gives us this text as the multitudes hear it, he asks us who are his disciples to look in our hearts and see Do we have pride in there that is hurting others? Do we have judgments that come out of our mouth that are murdering others? Do we speak words that crush people? And though we never pulled the trigger or stopped a beating heart, we're guilty of murder? Let's bow our heads this morning. Jesus, your words are startling, yet we have to acknowledge the fact that we need to take a look at our hearts. Father, I pray that while all of us are sinners and we struggle with the flesh in different ways, we want to have grace in our hearts and not murder. So we bring our hearts before you this morning and we ask that you would take a look. Father, in the judgments that we pronounce over others, may they be righteous judgments and not our own judgment. In the pride that we have, Lord, help us to see it and confess it before it can change the trajectory of our lives. For the words that we speak, help us set a guard over our lips, Lord, that what we speak to others, uh, particularly our brothers and sisters and our children, they would be words of life, that they would produce life and not death. Examine our hearts, God show us where we need to repent and recalibrate. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Give him a hand clap of praise.